Hello and welcome. Almost 30 podcast. What's happening? Hello, everybody. It is Lindsay and Krista. We are best friends, truly best friends. And we met about six years ago. And we met during our Saturn return, which is just a an interesting time that maybe some of you are going through. Approaching your 30s and just wondering, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Who should I be with? What should I do with my life? You know, all the things. So we're here to support you in that transition and any transition. You don't have to be 30. Yeah, we have over 500 episodes on spirituality, health, wellness, relationships, so many different things. So make sure to subscribe and dig into all of the amazingness that is Almost 30. Thank you to the friend or person that put you on to Almost 30. We are so grateful and welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Today is so freaking exciting because I feel like it's one of those episodes where we get to facilitate a conversation around a topic that I don't think a lot of people have either found, talked about, um, or begun to work with. And I think it is going to be one that is so profound. Completely agree. I'm actually looking for, we had camp. So we had Camp Almost 30, which is an event that we do twice a year to celebrate the announcement of our membership opening of enrollment. So we open enrollment for our membership twice a year. We you know, keep our container super tight and amazing for our awesome members. And at camp, it's a free online virtual wellness event. And Bethany Webster was our first session after Lindsay and I, and she freaking brought down the house. Unbelievable. That was an amazing (laughs) camp. And she did such an amazing job. Yeah. I learned, we always learn so much from speakers. Um, and people that we admire. And I just found that her ability to be so present to what she is speaking to that in the moment you could tell that she was like remembering aspects of her teen, sharing it with the uh, audience live. And they were responding in such a way that was like, oh my God, yeah, my inner teen wants to do this. And she used to do this. And she felt like this or felt judged in this way. And it was alive. Yeah, it was incredible. And Yeah, I was looking for some of the comments from camp where the women were talking about their inner teenager. And I was asking them to describe some of the feelings that she had coming up and some of the feelings in her life. And, you know, before we go any further, it's important that we think about what the inner teenager is versus the inner child. And really, you know, there's no difference in time. Like we're all existing at the same time. It's all here and now. But there is a difference because that inner child, that little you that really just wanted love, that really just wanted nurturing and support feels a lot different for a lot of people than that inner teen that might feel angsty or emo or sad or depressed or frustrated. You know, there's such different feeling sets between the two. So just by feeling into like how your inner teen felt is really helpful to think about the healing opportunity for you with the inner teen. And I know when we were looking at the chat from camp, when we asked, you know, what was your inner teen like? What was she feeling? There was like emo, angsty, angry, frustrated, mad, disappointed, sad, depressed. So many feelings, so many emotions that our inner teens had. And I thought it was the only one that felt like my inner teen was full of rage. (laughs) I was like, I was so... I was just so like fed up with the bullshit. Like I was just like, you know, it was kind of the point where I was realizing that parents and adults don't have the answers and they're not perfect and they actually don't have their shit together. And it was almost too like, oh, everything, like the pointlessness of things. Yeah, yeah. Where you're kind of waking up to like, oh my God, I, I don't, 
I'm learning all this stuff in school that doesn't feel like it's going to resonate with my life. It doesn't really feel good. I'm feeling like I have to do all this stuff that I don't really want to do. I'm feeling like a lot of this is like just bullshit. And yeah, it was just a really frustrating time. I think my parents were kind of on their way out with the divorce, which was also really frustrating because they didn't really know what was going on. You kind of can feel the energy, but you can't really place what exactly had been happening. Mm. So you're frustrated too because you're like, what is this? I'm feeling something, but we're not talking about things. Yeah. What is going on? And to feel like liberated when we were in community talking about our inner teens and talking about all the emotions they had was just like the best feeling. Yeah, it it definitely felt like a catharsis. We were sharing um, the different music our teen liked, liked to listen to, just what our inner teen like really loved and giving ourselves, this is just one aspect of what she was speaking to, but giving ourselves the permission to like indulge in that and actually do that like rip that your favorite music. And Bethany was like, my inner teen loved black coffee. Yeah, dude, I was dying laughing. It's funny because she said that and I was dying laughing. I was like, oh my God, that's so weird. And then I was like, I was ripping like caffeine pills and like fucking crazy shit. Someone tweeted um, from our community. They're like, you call it listening to Blink-182 and skateboarding. I call it healing my inner teen, mm-hmm. which is so true because it is going back to that inner teen and really seeing what he or she needs, what they need yeah. from you. Um, and I think mine was really the respect, like really the respect of knowing that my inner teen was really onto something, that my intuition was coming online, that I was right to have an opinion, that I was kind of on my way and that I was valid to be heard, I think was probably mm. most important to me. Yeah, I think for me it was... It was just this feeling of like, I wanted to be trusted. Yeah. I definitely was a little liar at some point. I was going to say, I'm like, we just talked about being little liars. Yeah, we we were little liars. We're like, trust me. But I think that was the result of the the lack of trust. Yeah. And and you know what? Like, I think this, this showed up as protecting, but it really was a lack of trust in me to be responsible or just, you know, use logic. I don't know. But there was just a lack of trust. And I think it was because parents sometimes see a teen as still a child. Sometimes parents see a teen as an adult. It's like they pick and choose how to treat a teen. And I think a teen is more a child than they are an adult. And they are still learning. They don't have all the tools. And so any form of self-expression is so important. And I think that's the other thing that I felt like I couldn't really express myself in a uninhibited way. So I couldn't, like I wasn't the teen that was like, fuck you, mom and dad. Like not at all. (laughs) And I think that was something that maybe would have served me a little bit to be able to kind of rip and like express myself. Rather, I was like screaming into pillows. (laughs) I kind of like that though. You kind of figured out your own way. Yeah, I did a little, I dropped a little, a couple of cuss words and that didn't feel good. Yeah, no. You just feel like, if you cuss at your parents, it's like you feel like this is what everyone says is hurtful. So I'm going to use it. Like there's not like yeah, a, no. you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's like it's the worst thing to cuss. Yeah. So you're like, you're a bitch. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, like this will hurt the most. It's And it does never get you 
Yeah, anywhere. Course, but I, and you course. feel like trash. Like I felt like gross if I ever mm-hmm. did that. But really the way our inner teen shows up within us has everything to do with what we went through as teenagers. And whatever suffering we experienced back then is really the key to healing the inner teen today. So in this episode with Bethany Webster, who we've spoken to about the mother wound, which is a really profound conversation that we had and a profound healing that I've worked through, through her book and in therapy, um, the inner mother and the healing of the mother wound also really has a lot to do with healing the inner teen, because obviously some of the same concepts and ideas will come up between the inner child and the inner teen and the mother. So I started with healing the mother wound. I still work on that all the time with a lot of Bethany Webster's work. And now I'm going to be focusing on healing that inner teen and really integrating her because Mm -hmm. there was so much parts about me. And I don't know if you can think about this, where I think about my teenage years and I was like, oh, I was kind of like on some new shit. Like Mm -hmm. I was like very different. I was Mm -hmm. very, I didn't realize how different I was or how unique of an experience I feel like I was having. And I just really respect that. And like really respecting and loving like the person that you were as a teen and not seeing it as shameful, not being embarrassed. Like we were all little weirdos once. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, yeah, for me, I think it was the teenage years were when like I, I feel like I put myself out there so much and was like so hard on my sleeve. And then it wasn't really received by either certain people that were important to me in friendship or whatever. And then I was like, oh, can't do that. Like it yes. was like this weird retraction of that. But I think like the ability to be like vulnerable and myself right out the gate was something that like I want to be, like I am and want to be more yeah. of now. So it's like the instincts and the heart was there. But I think we just... We start to we start to see ourselves through other people's eyes pretty intensely as a teenager through yes. boys, through girls, you know, through teachers. Yes. I think boys was my life. Yeah, boys and like shopping. Shopping's was, hilarious to dude, me. So I don't know why. <laughs> I think you know, with shopping, it can be an outlet for you know, repression of emotions or anger or frustration. Maybe you're overeating. Maybe you're addicted to social media. Maybe you're addicted to relationships. There's a lot of ways in which we can channel or funnel emotions that are not processed or expressed Mm -hmm. um, in your life. So um, it's interesting for all of us to really go back and think about you know, what our teen was like, what she needed, and even have fun with applying funny music or like whatever the music was or whatever the things that you wanted to do as a teen to your life as a way to like start the healing. In this episode with Bethany, we go deep on the difference between healing the inner child and healing the inner teen. We talk a lot about the inner teenager and patriarchy. So when you're a teenager, this is when a lot of the patriarchal programming comes online and you really start to take on a lot of the patriarchal information and those belief systems that we have to really work against now. And we talked a lot about um, why you need to heal the inner teen. So what are the reasons of why, how you can tell that it's activated and really that we're going through a collective inner teen healing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which was fascinating to think about and think about us seeing that, whether it's in the media or politics, all the things. Um, We also talk about really integrating both the inner teen and inner child and inner mother. So it's a kind of a fascinating dynamic that you can simultaneously tend to. And I'm sure you know Bethany's work around the inner mother. Um, Her book, Discover the Inner Mother, is 
one of our favorites. So definitely check that out. Um, but yeah, this conversation is, it just flows and it's very, very eye-opening to the what could be showing up for you and you don't quite know the word for it or the label for it. And to shine a light and to start tending to and really caring for your inner teen is profound. And Chris and I are doing it in real time. Yes, our inner <laughs> teens are out to play. Thank you so much for tuning into Almost 30. It means the world. Thank you for subscribing on Spotify, on iTunes, and writing a review. Your reviews, you know, which are free and only take a few seconds, mean the world to Lindsay and I. So thank you so much for doing that. Thanks for sharing these with friends. I think it's really important that when you find a tool or a resource that's helpful to you to share it with your community, that's how we've grown the podcast. Thanks to all our new members that join the membership. It's been such a pleasure to grow with you. You can go to almost30.com to find more blog posts. You can find Podcast Pro. You can find courses and programs and more information about Lindsay and I. Yes. Thank you for listening. We will see you on the other side. See you soon. Your work with the inner teen is just so resonant. Like I thought I was the only one that felt like my inner teen was a rebel. Like I was always like, I'm a rebel. Like I was mm. crazy. I was, I had so much rage and anger and I felt like I was the only one that sort of had that experience of feeling rage and anger. And when you started to talk about it, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. That that was something that required my attention and my healing and my time. And even in one of the trainings, what you said, you have these really powerful trainings that I did where you said oh, yeah. she deserves respect. And I literally almost fell to the floor. I was like, yo, that oh. is all I wanted as a teen was yeah. to be respected for who I was and what I felt and what I was going through. And just, it, it hit me so hard. So I'm really excited to have you today again. Um, if for all of our listeners, so Bethany has been on the show before, we talked about the Mother Wound, which is Discover the Inner Mother. Her book is one of my favorite books. It's so profound. And um, we've also had you in the membership and at camp and stuff. So we just find any way we can work with you. But I'm excited <laughs> to have you again to talk about the inner teen. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I love collaborating with you too. And, and the quality and the beauty that you create in the world is so awesome to be a part of. So thanks for inviting me back. Mm. We're so glad. You're so, yeah. You're the best. And I'm curious, you know, because as someone on the outside, it, it feels like, okay, now we are working with our inner teen, kind of moving with you through this work. But when did you discover the medicine that your inner teen had and how did you begin working with her? Yeah, I knew about my inner teen for a long time, but I always was like, kept her at arm arm's length, you know? Um, and she would pop up in times when I was like full of rage, it was an anger thing. And I thought it was related to anger. And I actually started calling her EC, enraged child. I was like, <laughs> my EC is up right now. Um, and I just kept calling her that. But yeah, um, she didn't really crystallize as a force for me until a few years ago when I was, um, I was actually in a couples therapy with my ex-partner who's actually like a dear friend to me now. Um, we're closer than ever, but we were in a session and I, I was like, I could feel there was this part of me that wanted to fight with her. Like I could feel this desire, like, no, I, I want this. I want in, I want to go to battle with you, you know? And I, it was a powerful like awareness for me. Like, wow, what is this part that 
really wants to battle. And what's that about? Like, what am I really fighting for? You know? And um, so that was kind of the beginning. And to be honest with you, I was blown away at how much the inner teenager was operating in my psyche without my awareness. And when I started to work with her, it was about listening. Like, what are you angry about? You know, what are you fighting for? Um, And her rage would be, you know, number one at my parents for feeling like she was forced into people pleasing and taking care of them. And she could never be authentic growing up. Like it just wasn't allowed. And so that was what a lot of the rage was about. But there was also rage at me as her adult self, like kind of not listening as well. Like, so I was kind of perpetuating a similar thing by keeping her at arm's distance in much the same way that my own parents did. A real, like the climax I would say with my inner teen was when I was working very heavily with my therapist at the time as well. And she was really opening to my EC as well. We were kind of creating a space together, my therapist and I like, okay, EC, we're ready. We want to hear it all, like lay it on us. Like we're here for you. And there was one day when she just wanted to crawl into my lap. She just, I could just sense that my inner teen just wanted to be held and really just, and I just said, you can be in my lap as long as you want. I'm here to hold you. So it was like this moment of really welcoming the rage, welcoming the anger, and then feeling that she was still a kid, you know, and teenagers are still kids. And I think our society kind of teach, looks at teens very, with a contempt Mm, almost, like teens don't matter. Teens are useless. They're like acting out, like dismissing their wisdom. Yes. And so one of the things I would say to EC was just like, I respect you so much. I respect your courage. Like my inner teen worked so hard to hold it all together through so much, like like way beyond her developmental capacity for my parents, for my brother, for, and then just to get through the dysfunction of my family, create a career. Like my teen has been part of my fire. And I would say most recently, what I've healed with my inner teen has been around that fight, like, like in the fight sense of like the residue of trauma and helping her see that there's nothing to fight anymore. Like there's no scarcity anymore. You know, the scarcity time is over, like scarcity of love, not, not enough love, not enough attention, not enough respect because she's getting it all now inside of me, from me, her inner mother. So I'm feeling that mother gap of what she didn't get from my own mother and making it safe to be courageous and powerful, um, but not in a fight. The fight's over. It's more like passion. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like the alchemy of that. I wonder, you know, it's interesting too, when you're, there's so much you said that I want to pick apart, but (laughs) when you're talking about the teens and how the media or how culture talks about the teens, it's like that dismissal. But it's also interesting because it's almost like teens control our entire culture because they are sort of determining what's popular on TikTok. They determine what's popular on social media. They often are the people that are advertised to the most because- they're the most impressionable. So it's very interesting because totally there's like that paradox of like dismissal, but then also most marketing dollars go to teens. Yes. You know what I mean? They're like spending, you know, it's just, it's kind of it's, weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing up that facet 
um, yes. the diamond, you know, yes. of the inner team, because it's like, I feel like that's what patriarchy does yes. just generally, yes. you know, it, it exploits. So it, it will take an idea. Yes. It will t- something that's organic and has life. And then it will like cannibalize it into a product. Yes. So yes. teens have medicine. Teens have medicine for these times. They are wise. There's like a lens through which the teen sees the world that's not yet crystallized into oppressor or oppressee, but like at that very powerful transition point where there's a lot of clear seeing happening. Um, But our culture hasn't figured out a way to place that. And so it's actually the beginning of when we get really ground down. I think I talked about this before about like the shame-based identity gets really locked in, in the teen years. Like we start to see through the lens of shame ourselves, our bodies, each other. And like patriarchy makes a lot of money on our shame. So I think that's why inner teens are so marketed to. It's because they're heavily manipulated. Yeah. Easily manipulated into feeling not good enough, needing to fit in. Um, so they're kind of, they're basically exploited. Yes, 100. Mm. That's what it is. It's yeah. like, there must be, I want to, I don't know if you know, but there must be something going on brain developmentally wise mm-hmm. where it's, and actually, you know what too, and not to like continue down this road too far, but it's like, I wonder if the rage and their emotion gets exploited too, because it's such an emotional hormone filled time where you do feel that rage. So then it's like, that's getting exploited into like being the solution. So whether it's even numbing out on TikTok or social media or anything like that. So I I wonder if it's also, they exploit the emotions that teens experience. I feel like uh, video games, especially with like the violent video games and using that rage and that Mm -hmm. frustration Mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah, it's really sad because it, there's no solution. Like capitalism and patriarchy, they try to market a solution, but they actually, we just get on a treadmill yeah. where our shame is getting triggered. So it's like a shame cycle. We feel shame inside uh, based on whatever we went through, neglect or trauma-wise. We inherit a piece of shame as part of humanity, part of our growing. But then that gets like <laughs> triggered by the external, whether it's magazines or TikTok or Instagram or whatever. So we like then we buy because we want to pr- we want to protect ourselves against the shame but then when that shame doesn't go away we're on another part of the cycle where we're trying to cope with the shame we feel through numbing out whether it's food or internet binging or spending or like for a teenage when our teenagers get really triggered it's usually stuff like reactivity overspending overeating cheating on a spouse like going outside our comfort zone. Because what the teen really needs and overact, like a reactive teen needs an adult to help them organize and be like, I'm with you. I got you. Your feelings are legit. And and I hear you. That's what an inner teen is kind of looking for is some kind of regulation, like to get regulated. Yeah. Right. But we're on the cycle where we actually just get on this shame wheel and it's very profitable in the kind of toxic culture that we live in. So that's why becoming aware of our shame, and I think that's what, I like to say it's about going from shame to sovereignty, is where we stop listening to that shame voice and we start to like be able to turn away from things because shame is no longer true for us. I think that's the opportunity in healing our inner teens. Um, I'm gonna, I could go down a tangent right now about what shame is. Would that be useful? Yes, please. Yeah, so shame, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, but shame is actually useful in a way. Um, it, it serves a function when we're kids, when we're in our families, 
and all of us are in some, you know, have grown up in some degree of dysfunction, right? Um, when we feel unloved, unseen, or unsupported, a child will blame herself, um, saying, oh, I must not be good enough, or I have to please mommy, or what can I do to, to, to please and be good again? Because something's wrong with me. That's kind of what the shame voice says. Um, and that sh- the reason why we do that, it's not like a, it's not a flaw in our makeup or anything. It's actually very useful because the other option is to really see how checked out and immature and unsafe our parents are. And that's not an option because that could be so devastating. It could be fatal because that would put the child in a place of despair, right? So shame, I like to say that the center of the mother wound is despair. And shame is on the outside of that despair to protect us from it. So shame, in a way, gives us a sense of control. It's like, okay, I know what to do. I'm just going to improve myself. Um, For teens, especially, it's when it really gets solidified. If you're neglected as a teen, I'm just going to buy, like I did, read all the fashion magazines, buy all the products, um, you know, to fill that gap, you know, to kind of ease myself from the shame. Um, does that make sense? That part yes. is that clear? Yeah, how it's how it's kind of useful. It gives us hope. It gives us a sense of control. Yeah, I think that was from the training I took. The shame giving or shame giving us hope, I think, is profound. You know, if we think yeah. about that, because we're like, okay, I have shame around my body, or I have shame around something. Say, let's stick with body. Then you have hope to change. You know, it's not like oh, this is the way it is. It's like the shame is like almost in a weird way, motivating, even though it's the right. wrong the wrong method of motivation. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. It's like the shame gives us a journey to go on. It's like, okay, go here. Then you don't have to feel that yucky feeling, you know? And it's a hope, it's a control. And so I think we're not meant to live in shame. Shame is not meant to be something we live with until we die. It, it's a temporary, I call it a life raft, it's a life raft just to get through childhood until we can do the inner work that we need to do to, you know, live our true authentic destiny, whatever that looks like. So the inner teen is so powerful because she's the one that can really keep that shame locked in place. And she can feed us those messages even when, you know, we think we're beyond that kind of stuff. The reason why it really comes up is if we're depleted. So for example, if we're like stressed, depleted, overextended, that's when we can get hijacked by that reactive, scared inner teen who can cause us to do these impulsive um, self-sabotage type of behaviors. One of the most insidious ones is just hearing negative thoughts, like feeling like we can't stop that loop. We might get in a rabbit hole of like, something wrong with me. I'm never going to heal. I'm going to be alone. Like when you start hearing that narrative, that's a real alarm bell. That's like the inner team needs support because those, 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 those thoughts are not true, but they were helped temporarily useful. So she's going to fall back to that default to cope. And, and that's really about bringing the inner mother in and saying, Oh, I understand why you feel shame, but you don't have to feel that anymore. You're actually amazingly awesome. You're innocent. You're worthy. You always have been. But our parents didn't have the capacity to help us feel that way when we were little. So we can let go of that. We don't need that shame anymore. Mm. Yeah, but it the, takes a while for that to land. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the point you made a little bit earlier is hitting me now that 
teens are still kids? Because I feel like the teenage years are a time when society, our parents, maybe even school, put this like pressure on us to start thinking about or um, teaching us that we are young adults. And so it becomes this very strange pressure cooker where the the childlike emotions of whatever it is, frustration, of sadness, become compartmentalized because it's like, no, no, no. Like you are a young adult now. This is how you must act in order to be, whether it's accepted or on this track to to college, to this accolade. And then it becomes kind of distorted where you are walking farther and farther away from who you really are because you've had to put those emotions in a box, put these visions, beliefs of that childlike nature away in a box because you're like, I guess I have to be an adult now. Yeah. You know, it it really is that feeling. And I was a, I'm the eldest child of my family and I really felt- Mm. Double adult. Double adult. That that pressure of, um, I remember like when I would feel this like, uh, like just intense emotion and, and just, yeah, teenage rage, I would get a pillow and just scream into it. Mm. I wasn't the one that was like, fuck you, mom. Like, ah! right, but I would right. like have a contained space where I could be like, ah, and I would like, you know, just have that very controlled rage. Um, and I think it was because I kind of felt that pressure to be like, well, I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta keep it together. I gotta keep it together because I'm becoming, or I am a young adult. Is there anything right. in your research that like points to what I'm talking about where there is that like societal pressure and how I guess like even in relationships of parent to teenager now, there can be a bit of a untangling of that and a release of that. Totally, totally. Absolutely. Like there's so much pressure on teenagers to grow up fast. And we live in a kind of adult supremacist society where like adults, like adults always have the power, even though children obviously are cared for, but they're really not compared to other more child-centric places where the developmental process is respected. Kids are like, kids are not given much space and latitude to have all those developmental like rage experiences, for example, when you're a teen, you need to go through, you're going to feel that pressure because you have pressure from hormones internally, like all those eternal ones. Then you have the external ones. So it is totally a pressure cooker. And your our brains haven't stopped developing until we're like 21 or 22. So we are prematurely adultified in the culture for sure. And part of that is because I think a lot of our parents and even our teachers they they were early adultified too, and, that, and if we parentified, it's even more. So it's it's partly culture and partly just what's normalized. So there's incredible pressure on the teens, and I think what you described is kind of where there starts to be this departure from what is our true self, the start of a rejection of, you know, our true self, our true essence, and then we have to recover that. <laughs> later, um, if we're lucky enough and have enough privilege to have the time and energy to like focus on self-growth and inner work, you know? Um, 
So yeah, there's a, really a departure that happens at that time. I think it's so great you're voicing that because it's something that's really overlooked, what we go through in the teen years. You know what I realized too, because yeah. I thought about that. I'm like, I feel like we, it's interesting because I feel like we glorify youth. You know, our culture glorifies youth, but then we don't right. respect youth. And then we're like in the age that people say is the best. And then people say it's, you know, you're never the age that, <laughs> is good. Right. It's like as no, a kid, never. you're not, you know, because you don't have these things. As a teen, you're not. And as an adult, as a 20-year-old, you're not. It's just like it never really ever feels like it's like the perfect place. We hope you're enjoying this conversation. We're going to take a few moments to share brands with you that we love and who support this show. Here is what I know. Therapy has completely changed my life. I get a lot of questions about therapy. So does Krista. We both started going to therapy just a couple years ago and it has changed our career life, our interpersonal relationships, our relationship with ourselves, And it just is the investment that keeps on giving. So I know y'all out there invest in so many things for you, but do you invest in your mental and emotional health. It's an important one. So I'm really excited to talk to you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. I'm really, really excited for you to go on to BetterHelp and just have this really smooth, supportive experience. Listen, if you're matched with a therapist that you're like, hmm, this one isn't for me, they make it super easy to change your therapist. They take most insurances. So are you going to invest in your mental and emotional health? Today is the day. This is your sign. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy, and I would love for you to try so we get 10% off. Our listeners are so lucky. 10% off the first month at betterhelp.com slash almost 30. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash almost 30 for 10% off your first month. All right, calling on creators. I know y'all are creating content like crazy and all of that content has to go on many different platforms. And are you getting stuck at that point in the process? I really relate to this. But when I found Issue, that got much easier. Issue is an all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and so much more. I'm sure you would agree PDFs are outdated. So if you're attaching PDFs to emails, let me remind you Issue exists, I-S-S-U. They just make content better and it works seamlessly with tools you already use like Canva and Dropbox and InDesign. Basically, you make your content once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement by issue and ready to share. So if you're a creator, a marketer, designer, and anyone who wants to make content that stands out, please try issue. I just used it for my sacredness of being single content. I made beautiful readers for my gals and they love it. You can start using issue for free. com slash podcast and use the promo code almost 30. You can 
do a free account or sign up for a premium account, which is what we recommend. You will get 50% off that premium account when you go to issuu.com slash podcast. Use the promo code almost30. That's issuu.com slash podcast with promo code almost30. You will sign up for free or get 50% off a premium membership. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between healing um, the inner teen and healing the inner child and sort of sure. what, that, what that looks like. Yeah, I would love to share with you an example. Can I ch- share a little story? Um, this is kind of a story of, some, it's like multiple people kind of lumped into one. It's something I've seen through dozens and dozens of women. So it's this woman named Michelle and she um, she grew up in a family where her parents were like really perfectionistic Um, not a lot of emotion in the home. They, I think her mother was like a professor. Um, and so like everything, the way that her mom talked to her was the energy. Like, if you don't do this, something bad's going to happen. Like if you keep eating like that, you're going to gain weight. If you don't do your homework, you're not going to get into a good school. If you don't, um, you know, it was just like a fear-based kind of like relationship really. And Um, her mom really kind of saw childhood as a deficiency, like little things like taking a long time to do homework or, you know, being messy sometimes. It was just like, like a, like a devastation, you know, like everything was a problem. And it was like, it left her feeling like I can never be good enough. Like I am fundamentally wrong. Like there's something deeply wrong about me. And the way she coped with that was through like really trying to prove. So she would like, um, go to school. She would like do extra, you know, overload. And then she would like fail because she was trying to, you know what I mean? Like overshooting to prove, but then never being able to market. So it was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then in her marriage, it was kind of the reverberations were things like, you know, her husband would have a lot of these anger, like spells, and she would just like cater to him to try to like make it better, please him, but never like being fierce. So she just kind of like accepted. She didn't really have a voice with her husband. And then in her business, she owned a business. It was it flailed for a long time um, because she had this pattern of like, fill my plate. I need to get this program. I need to do this. I need to learn this thing. I need to get credentialized in that. And so it was just this constant swing between I'm not good enough. So I have to overcompensate, but then I'm overwhelmed. Then I react to that you know, so she was just kind of on this roller coaster. And in working with her, we got to kind of what was going on. And there was actually two different things happening. One was her inner child, the younger one, was like, Mommy, I want you to love me for me. Like, please love me, see me. You know, so she's looking for the, through all this like achievement, looking for that approval, like, kind of like what you were saying, Crystal, like arriving there, like to finally be at that place where she's good enough. Um, And then, but another thing was also happening, which was the the teenager had a totally different experience while this was happening. The inner teen was like pissed at her mother. Like, why can't I ever win? Like, why can't I ever just be good? Like, that's what I really want is just to be good. So there was also this anger and rage of the inner teenager. And it was like the two of them were at odds. The inner child was longing for the mother's approval, but the inner teen was like, F you, mom. 
I don't want anything to do with you. So there was like this push pull where the two inner parts were kind of at odds with one another. So in our work together, I helped, we kind of got clear on these two different things that were happening and really giving each kid a different thing um, from her as her adult self, right? So I talk about this process called validate, differentiate, revalidate the emotions, whatever they are of the inner child. And then we differentiate, which is meaning that we kind of differentiate the past from the present because a lot of what's driving the tension with the inner parts is that they're operating on a false conclusion of what will help them feel safe. Um, they're looking for regulation, so they have different needs. So it was a matter of kind of working with both parts at once, but giving them two different kind of developmentally appropriate messages of what they needed. So for the inner child, the younger one, it's about nurturing. It's about affirming her goodness, her lovability, no matter what, differentiating that whatever mom treated us, her you know inability to accept us for who we were, that's really her stuff. It actually never had anything to do with you. With the inner teen rebelling against that constant control, the message that Michelle needed to give her inner teen was like, I respect you. And yeah, your rage is 100% legit and makes total sense. You have every reason to be angry, right? So really listening to inner teen and validating that rage. Um, So in so doing, you know, different things with each part over time, and this doesn't have to take a ton of energy, but it has to be consistent. The two, they calm down and they start to feel more integrated. So there's less, and there's less of a need to reactively compensate with creating problematic habits on the outside as well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really relate to that because I do feel like when I think about it, it's like, I know deep down that you want, I want love and acceptance, but then there is the layer of the rage. I don't give a fuck part. So it is like the two parts. It's like the younger Mm -hmm. self wanting to be seen, wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to, um, yeah, just receive love and attention. And then the, the point in my teens where I was like, oh, fuck this. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, this absolutely is not working. So. And that's, that's wisdom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's wisdom. Cause you could see the F that vibe is on point because you could see, you know, you probably could see the lack of integrity in people around you. You could, you could see that some things were not in your best interest, but you were being told that they were, you know, you can see through the BS but you're not given the, the 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 like latitude or autonomy to necessarily act on that. Yeah. And it's almost like the as a child you are operating out of I need to survive. And so it's like I yeah. need the the love, the safety, the nourishment, the shelter, the, the you know, and then you differentiate mm-hmm. yourself a bit as a teen where I think you're just the consciousness is coming more and more online of like oh my parents are people, you know, it's like I am an individual and this reliance on them becomes less and less for like a survivability aspect. Totally. So I can see just the, it's such a, there's so much friction there because by society's standards and, and family rule standards, you're still under quote their roof. And so yeah. it's like the parent is like, no, you need me to survive. And therefore I, what I say trumps all. And then there's this part of us as a teen that's like, 
I don't think I need you to survive, but I would love to be have all of those things like being acknowledged, respected to thrive, you know, to really right. thrive. Totally. It's like the teen needs, they do need nurturing, but they really do also need respect and autonomy and a voice. So even if the teen's ideas are, you know, whatever, not, they need to at least be heard. That's what their developmental need is, right? So it's like they're at this precipice of I need, but I don't need. And that half and half needs to be respected by the adults. And often our adult parents, especially, you know, some older generations, I don't know how old our parents are, but they were not raised where teens were respected. And even like, like in my case, my parents, they were like met each other when they were 16 and then they got married like when they were 22 or something like that. So they were kind of teens when they had me in a way. Um, And like the, yeah, so it's really interesting how parents react based upon what their upbringing was. And a lot of parents, the old school, especially if this is how they were raised, would see things like needing a voice being able to be angry at your parents, they would automatically see that as disrespect instead of, oh, my child is meeting a developmental need and I need to kind of like man up and be here for this. Because parenting is, yeah, one of the most demanding jobs on the planet, but also on the larger scale, our culture, I mean, the pandemic is a perfect example of how unsupported parents are with the pandemic and everything. So everybody's stretched thin. And I think that's why right now we're seeing inner teens acting out across the board parents, you know, people are, we're in a time where a lot of division, where there's a lot of reactivity. And so this stuff is coming out. Tell me more about what you're, about what you're, like, what are some other examples of, of how you see the inner teen activated? Yeah. One, one comes to mind. I was watching, I was like scrolling on something and I saw a news article about a teenager, an actual teenager was at a town hall meeting and his grandmother had died of COVID. And he went to the meeting because he, oh, it, was, it wasn't a town hall meeting. I'm sorry. It was a school board meeting. And they were trying to decide whether to mandate having um, masks in school, like making it required or not. And he was just up there saying, I would like to request that the masks be mandated because my grandmother just died of COVID because she was in a place that didn't require that. And I just lost her. And I think it's think it's, we should do that. While he was speaking, all these parents behind him were like making fun of him, jeering at him, mocking him. Like, and I was like, oh my God, those, those mocking adults are actually, those are the traumatized inner teens that are probably having a hard time with an, a teenager, um, having a voice. Like, think about it. A lot of adults who have not felt respected by their, you know, parents or grandparents, that might trigger a lot of their own, like, who the hell do you think you are? You get to have a voice when I didn't get to have a voice. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that was one big example that stuck with me for like a week. Like I couldn't stop thinking about that because I was just like, it almost seemed like in normal times, like if this happened five years ago, that wouldn't have happened. But there's something about this time where I think we don't know what's going to happen in the world. There is no clear plan. We're seeing our systems that are supposed to support us flailing, just like we saw our parents fail us when we were teens. There's no real adult at the wheel. 
And so I think that's why teens are like coming out of the woodwork and freaking out. Yeah. I even think the um, like political debates in general are like two right? teenagers. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Literally. It's just so crazy because you lose the plot. You're like, what are we talking about? And they're like, they're kind of they're making fun of each other. Like the whole thing is just like talking shit. It's yeah. no policy. It's like, well, they <laughs> did no this. Compass. Well, they did this. They. Did, it's like, yeah. That, Playground politics. That yes. like blows my mind thinking about that actually because, and I think I'm reiterating what you said, but it's like during these times, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much of, the structures we thought we needed to look up to or the structures we thought we should trust crumbling. And so now we're like, or we're, um, or there's things that are being exposed to us right. as, you know, and so we're like, oh, this is all bullshit. Like everyone's, everyone's <laughs> right. bullshit. You know, this is all fake. We all need to, and it's like the burn it down kind of, like the burn it down vibe yeah. where you're like, oh, our healthcare system is, you know, our school system, uh, like our, you know, the way that we're supporting families and stuff, it's just, and so that's interesting because it's almost like we need that energy to yeah. create the new, to, yeah. to really get through this. And I'm wondering if then collectively, and I don't think this has an answer, but I wonder if we've if we're sort of catching up from a time perspective where we were inner inner child healing, and now we're at the teen. And I wonder if we're going to be at some point at the point where we're like merged <laughs> mm -hmm. and we're all integrated. collectively integrated of the inner child and the inner teen and we're sort of living this experience as being healed. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of philosophical, but yeah, I mean- I love that's that a, idea. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. We'll be back in just a moment, but first we want to share a little bit about the sponsors who support this episode. Y'all, I am happy. <laughs> I just had the happiness powder from Anima Mundi Herbals. Y'all know we are obsessed with this brand, have been for years. Truly, they keep our at-home apothecary top notch. And I'm excited for you to try it. If you haven't already, this brand is female and BIPOC owned and operated by Adriana Ayalis. She is a master herbalist from Costa Rica. We've done workshops with Adriana and she has been a guest at camp, but I am so, so, so proud to be working with her brand. This brand is made in the US with certified organic herbs, wild and sustainably harvested plants in a vegan and gluten-free kitchen. They contain zero fillers, binders or flow agents. Y'all, do you know how hard this is to perfect this? And they have done it. Uh, pure botanical powders, teas, and so much more. I am excited for you to truly just explore and get lost in this apothecary. So the happiness powder I was talking about, this is an energizing and mood boosting herbal coffee that is caffeine free and adaptogenic. It contains happy herbs as they do just that, make us happy and elevated. So they have done their research. So to increase a sense of peace and happiness, you can take herbs such as ashwagandha, rhodiola, mucuna, albizia, and St. John's wort. All of these are in the happiness formula. And one of the key benefits of the super powder is its liver and gut supportive properties. As you know, the gut is the second brain. So we can imagine that our mental health is connected to the health of our gut. So these herbs have very supportive properties with key elements like roasted dandelion root. It's 
really powerful. It gives that like coffee-esque flavor. Um, It's stimulating the liver and supporting healthy digestion and the body's natural detoxification process. I love this powder, y'all. It's the best. It's such a mood booster. It really helps to release dopamine and serotonin. Try it. And I'm excited for you to explore their other products. Truly, y'all, they have everything you might need to fill your apothecary at home. Go to anemamundiherbals.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 15% off your purchase. That is an incredible discount. A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I herbals.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 15% off your purchase. Okay, so tonight I made a calzone for Sean and I, and your girl needed the Hum Nutrition Flatter Meat formula after this. I knew I was going to be a little bloated from uh, the crust and the cheese. It's just, it's just how it is. And so I take my Flatter Me from Hum Nutrition, and y'all, deep bloat, deep bloat. It's amazing. If you don't know about Hum Nutrition, this is our go-to supplement brand for years and years. We have been partnering forever. These supplements are non-GMO. They are verified by independent labs for potency. They are triple tested for purity, no artificial sweeteners or colors, and they're gluten-free. It's so easy. You can go to humnutrition.com. You're going to take a three-minute quiz to create your nutrition profile. You'll get your nutritionist report, which is recommendations personalized to your needs. And then you can customize your selection of supplements that you're going to get. And they really have everything to treat dryness, firmness, fine lines, acne and breakouts. Uh, They have probiotics, gummies. They have supplements to support better sleep, reducing your stress, increasing energy. Y'all, the list goes on. As I said, I took the Flatter Me. This is a blend of 18 full spectrum digestive enzymes that help break down food for better digestion and reduced bloating. It really works and quick. Uh, I also really love the red carpet formula. Y'all know I've been taking it for years and it's just a great way to ensure healthy skin, hair, and nails the red carpet. Red carpet has black currant seed oil and vitamin E, which nourishes the hair follicles and skin to keep you red carpet ready, baby. All right, go to humnutrition.com. Use our code ALMOST30 for 20% off your first order of $29 or more. That's humnutrition.com. Use the code ALMOST30 for 20% off first orders of $29 or more. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, sovereignty, which you mentioned before, because I think that for anyone is really important, and especially for uh, people when they're healing the mother wound and and for the for the inner child. Um, what are some? I guess how would you define sovereignty, and how do we know we're actually in it? Because I feel like with the patriarchy, it's interesting because it's like this is sovereign. It's sovereign to be a CEO at a company as a woman. Like you know, it's like the ideas they perpetuate about sovereignty are actually might not be it. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a much, much deeper essence to what sovereignty is. And it's very counterculture to what is out there, what we've been taught about it. But it's basically, if I had to put it into a nutshell, I would say it's really about 
having a really solid connection with your truth and being able to embody that without guilt and without blaming other people. So like just finding a really true resting place inside where you feel safe and you can be in the present moment and live from there with a deep, deep, deep trust that whatever happens, you're going to feel the wisdom of what to do moment to moment. And that is freedom, right? It's to really not be beholden to any other power or institution outside of you. But it's interesting because sovereignty really implies a deep, deep integrity. So it's really about living by your integrity. Um, One of the things, the reason why I teach inner mothering is because I really believe that's the path to having true sovereignty because we can't be sovereign when we're projecting our longings and desires and, and also anger about what we didn't get onto other people. And that's what we're seeing all over the world. And we have for thousands of years is that we externalize what we're not yet ready to process and digest about our own past. And um, because, yeah, and that's how we work it out is just through this, this human tendency to project And when we hear something, we withdraw the projection and we can see people for who they are. We can see the beauty of things. We can see the the like miracle of life without that residue of trauma. Um, I'm actually writing an article. I'm going to be releasing it soon about discernment and like female friendships and sovereignty because female friendships can be a place where it can get really tricky with discerning, you know, who, who do I want in my life? And can I like respectfully decline jobs or friends that are not in alignment? And I find that in my experience, the more sovereign I become, I have actually very little desires. (laughs) Like the, the smaller things are very fulfilling. I don't need much to be happy. I want to serve. I want to help others, but I also have very, very strict boundaries. And, and I have no guilt about that anymore. I think I struggled for years and years with like, I should be friends with everyone or I should help everyone. And that was traumatic residue. And I think that's our work as women right now is like separating out what is our essence? Like what is our truth and sovereign reality? And wiping off the traumatic residues that we've accumulated on top of it through our families and through the culture and through all these like, because we're basically dealing with other humans as well that have their own illusions and projections as well. So the clearer that we can become, the more we can digest our own share of human suffering and work through that, the less we'll project, the more clear we're going to feel, and the more we're going to contribute in like a really clean, positive way. Yeah, the female friendship wound We've done a conversation about this and it's something I think that kind of keeps showing up in a really, now that we're aware of it, it's it's pretty, it's beautiful, right? Like we get these opportunities to discern and fine tune um, those relationships uh, or the ability to let those go. Um, but there, why is there that potency there in those female relationships. Is it connected to the inner mother? Um, But I'm also thinking about it at like a high level of like Mm. the the feminine becoming more of what we all have 
the feminine and masculine within us, like leaning more into the feminine, the flow, the intuition, the emotionality. Mm. And it's- Vulnerability. Yeah, and our rejection of that for so long. And so is this kind of that like point of like, oh, okay, let's like really, really work with this so that we finally feel that freedom to be discerning, to kind of flow with what feels good and in alignment for us, especially as relationships go. Yeah, totally. It's such a charged, beautiful laboratory of healing yeah. our female <laughs> friendships. And there's like, I, I don't know if about you guys, but I feel like I grew up with this vibe, like female friendships, you're not supposed to talk about them. They're just supposed to work out and like hiding how you really feel the need to mother one another. Yes. Um, I feel like we do bring to our female friendships the very same longings and fears and desires we had with our moms. Like there's no getting around that. It's definitely part of the picture. So the more that we're conscious of what those are, the more we can like see that in action and we can like own that quicker so that it doesn't create disappointments and exhaustion or whatever. Um, So that's always my point. One is like, how is this reflecting what happened with your mom. Just go right to the core. (laughs) Um, And then also it's part of sovereignty in the sense that speaking our truth, a lot of us did not get good models for that to speak our truth without, can't like, how do we do it respectfully with presence, with love, but without giving ourselves away? without making ourselves wrong, without self-deprecation, and also without manipulation. As girls, especially in teen girls, we weren't taught that we could be direct. It was like, we, I remember I would get like smacked across the face or there was sent away or like to be direct and potent as a woman is very dangerous to many people. And many, many, maybe some of us have seen that in our homes with our own mothers getting penalized for that too. So Speaking our truth in female friendships can be can feel really dicey, can feel really scary, but it's 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 an amazing place to grow with other women. You know, it can't happen. I think in this article I, I talk about how part of sovereignty is getting to a place where you don't expect other people to be beyond where they really are. Like in my case, I projected capa- way more capacity onto other women than was actually there in a kind of longing way, like kind of like I did with my mother. Like I had to project more capacity in her than she actually had in order to get through it, endure childhood. But I started to, the more I healed, the more I could pull off that projection off other women and be like, you are not at my level. And I feel no judgment towards you about that. Like you're not a good friend match. And I totally respect you, but we're not a match. And then either declining the friendship, you know, and that's really triggering for some people too. And when you talk about capacity, because I just want to, because I know, I know, I know what you mean. I believe, but yeah, for for people listening, you know, what what do you mean when you're sure. saying that? With that, yeah, thank you, Krista. Yeah, the word capacity. When I say that, I mean like. In general, like, does this person have the capacity to understand me? Um, Like, one of the things that I've gone through in my life is realizing I've been in therapy for 25 years. A lot of people have not. (laughs) 
And so a lot of people don't have the capacity, meaning to understand or appreciate where I'm coming from a lot of the time, right? So, but in the past, I would project that they could out of kind of a longing for their capacity to be larger, but it was really an unrealistic expectation of them. And it's totally okay that they don't have that capacity, right? Um, So capacity, the one that really matters for us as children is our parents' capacity. Like, can they, do they have the psychological sophistication, the psychological awareness to perceive that we're suffering or to slow down and be with us and listen to us? Um, There's a lot of things that go into whether someone has the capacity or not to, to meet us. Really, it's like, do other people have the capacity to meet us? Is that something that's realistic or not? And usually we don't know that until, but we tend to put, to like kind of replicate friendships that replicate yes. the same limited capacity in the mm-hmm. past. So it's, it's, it's really a learning curve of being human, I think, yeah. to get better at that. But I think it's like the conscious awareness for, for people to know and be aware of that. You know, even just bringing that attention to the relationships, like, is this, do you feel like this person can meet you in this way to see you? And Highly recommend being friends with healers <laughs> and psychics and mediums <laughs> um, and people that are in our sp- like the space mm-hmm. that we're in. We're, we're just constantly- Or who are in therapy. In therapy, yes. Yeah, definitely a requirement is therapy. Literally. A require- <laughs> it is. And I think it's helped us so much. Yes, for it sure. It is. It just really helps you to like bring that observer part of you and that understanding part of you where you're like, oh, this is happening. And- it really takes the charge out of it because you're like, it's not me. You know, it, it is you, yeah. but it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's this experience that I'm that I'm in. It's this reaction that I have. It's this part of me. It's the parts. But it's not all of me. And I can observe this and we can observe this together and we can pick this apart and sort of, you know, see what's happening Shared here. language. Yeah, the shared language. Oh my gosh, the shared language is, is absolutely major. And um, I do think that, the work, and we could probably do another whole pod, but the work on female friendships is so powerful and it's been so powerful for us, yeah. you know, to really- Yeah, I would love to hear more what you yeah, guys have to share to too. To really approach our relationship just with a lot of honesty and a lot of truth and to really just commit to coming back to it when it feels hard, when it feels sticky, when we feel like there's, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of missing each other. And we even had an experience recently, I feel like, where our inner teens were like out. Actually, I don't know if it was like inner child or inner teen. It felt inner teeny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you were like, meh. Meh. I was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. She was like, meh. No, it's just kind of like the, yeah, we had this like a situation where I had my anxious attachment style. So when I feel comfortable sure. in relationships, I have anxious attachment style. But for everyone else, it's pretty much avoidant. But um, so Lindsay, and in response- <laughs> Totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, in response was um, avoidant attachment style. It was like this feeling of like me wanting so much and then her wanting to kind of pull away because it felt like too much. Mm. It felt like overcapacity. Sure. Um, and yeah, to be like, oh, this is happening. Like yes. we noticed this happening. Love it that. really- yeah, it's been transformational. It brings a depth. I think yeah. th- this awareness mm. and even, you know, if you are in therapy or just learning about those parts of yourself, it brings a depth to relationship, whether it's a friendship, a romantic relationship, yeah. even with your family, like where you can bring them in, in a way that feels, you know, good and safe to understand you better, you know, to understand Krista's inner teen and inner child better through our friendship, 
just helps me to, one, it's deepening the connection, but two, it is also tending to my, the parts of me that are reactionary and to say, hey, we actually know at a higher level what's happening here between you two. So it's not like, it's not in the human like of like, she said this. It's like, oh no, what's happening actually is this need for or desire for or lack of. Um, And it just brings a peace to relationship that uh, I'm so thankful for because I don't, yeah, I don't like living in that reactionary Totally. Zone mm-hmm. in relationship. It's not fun. It's very stressful. Yeah. And that's where your relationships can be your mirrors and can be growth opportunities for you. It's like, and I realized mm-hmm. over time, it's like, if I'm not actually showing people who I am, if I'm always wearing the mask and you know, masks are important, but there are times when it's really nice to just be who you are. It's like, then I wasn't, re- the relationship wasn't really a growth opportunity for me. It, it was in like a way, as as deep as I allowed it, it, was as deep as the learning opportunity would be or the connection that I would have. But I had an, you know, through my female friendships, I noticed something too. I would have a meshment, you know, I would have a meshment with, yeah, sure. with, with women. And I would also have, um, where I would attract women that were almost narcissistic because I had that experience with my mom where I would completely abandon myself and be almost in service to them and be, like this, it was almost like this weird, I was like a servant almost where I was like just in service to their experience and their expression or whatever. And it's been nice to get out of that because I would always wonder, I'm like, what's happening? Why do I feel like I'm lesser than? Why do, you know, I would have this experience with women where I felt like I didn't feel good, but I didn't want to stop. You know, I was like, what am I? I I don't feel good, but I'm here. Yeah, familiar. Totally, I get that too. Yeah, it's like a groove in our brain that's yes. really well worn. And so we can just slide, you know, right back into it. But it's so great to be able to like recognize that sooner and sooner because then we can just like pivot out. Yes. We don't have to like live out the three months, you know, yes. however long of a storyline that could be. Yes. Just like ease, it takes time to like get earlier and earlier at pivoting away from that. And that's like, that's something to celebrate. Yeah. When our default has changed even just a little bit of our awareness. And I loved what you guys were sharing about your friendship. It's so inspiring. And I love, you know, when you were describing it, what I was visualizing was like that you both have created this container, like, like a safe space. And inside there can be, you know, turbulence here and there, but like it doesn't upset the container. And like, it seems like that container is built upon, you know, your shared awareness around the entity, which is your friendship. And that there's kids involved and that you both love them and want to help them feel safe in that. So there's like, it's interesting how the differentiation creates that integration. Um, Most people are walking around as a complete jumble of selves and parts and with no awareness of like what makes them slip into one or why do they feel hijacked into this moment? So I'm excited for that, this kind of stuff to get more like mainstream. Yeah. like a population of thousands of people who had awareness about their triggers, their inner children. Um, you know, I just think that the world would be very, very different. And I'm inspired agree. when I talk to people like you guys who get it and who are actually practicing this because with another person, it, it's like, it's like me with my, with my friend, it's like, we are on a healing journey together. 
And it's so cool to be like, high five, like (laughs) high five each other when we like have these moments. Yes. Oh my God. It's really cool to share. It's the best. I was telling my fiance the other day, I'm like, you understand that your boss is like, his inner child is this, that's that. And he's like, yeah, no, I know that. But like no one, no one, it's Mm -hmm. not mainstream. So to even bring this into like, a corporate setting where things have to be so like buttoned up. We don't share personal things. I'm like, y'all, that is the the crux of what's actually happening on a day-to-day is these inner child, inner teens acting up, acting out and controlling everything. Um, But I I had one more question about Mm -hmm. the friendship piece, asking for myself. No, it's not for our friendship, but like ending a friendship. You know, it's like, I've actually gotten a, a bunch of questions about yeah. ending friendships that are no longer resonant or aligned. And I, over like the holiday break, had a few, you know, situations where I'm like, oh, I actually think this friendship is is done. And I'm like, how yeah. the heck am I going to have this conversation? I feel it in my body. I'm like, oh, I, I, I feel this in my body, how this would, you know, ideally go. But there's this part of me that wants to manage the experience of the other person in it. Totally. And I don't trust that they're going to be cool with it. (laughs) And they might not be. And that's really not my responsibility. But what would you say to someone who's like, okay, I, I, I need to end this friendship? Yeah. I recently went through something like this recently too. Um, I think it depends on a couple of different things. So like how long have you been in that friendship? is one thing. If it hasn't been a long-term friendship, it can be like a quick thing, you know, like, Hey, um, I don't think this is working for me. You know, I've enjoyed my, our time together. I've enjoyed it, but I don't think this is going to, this is like a really good fit for me. I did that once as well mm-hmm. over Facebook messenger. <laughs> as you <Went> well. <laughs> went well, it went really well. Um, the person was upset, but I just felt so clear. I was just like, you know, this just isn't a fit. And, you know, we get to have that. That's part of the journey is, I think, sovereignty. It's like, we get to not like everyone and we get to not feel guilty about it. Like not everyone is a match. So if we feel that pressure to make it work, that's a sign that there's an old belief operating. Um, If you've been in a friendship with someone for a longer time, I think the approach would be different. And the psychological capacity of the other person is another thing that can shape how you want to communicate that to the person. I had another friendship where it was a long-term friendship, but I really saw that there was something really not okay happening on her end. And I didn't feel like it was going to help either of us to go into it. Um, So I sent a shorter thing, you know, that was just like, I had sent her something else that was long and heartfelt and she didn't respond. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't going to go anywhere. So it was like clear Um, So I didn't actually reach out at all. I stopped reaching out and that felt appropriate in that situation um, because I knew that her capacity was low and it would actually open up another can of worms that wasn't going to go anywhere. So that's another kind of bucket. The, uh, The thing I went through most recently was I just really saw that we were on a fit and, um, there were things like mixed messages, um, saying one thing, doing something else. And I was just like, oh no, no, no because we had like been friends for a long time from a distance. Then we got closer. We're like, oh, we're going to build this friendship. And and then I'm like, oh, well, if she's doing these things, I don't, I don't want that. That's not what I want in a deep friendship. So I wrote her an email and I just said, Hey, I just want to let you know 
um, that I've enjoyed our time together, but I, I, what did I say? The last time we were together, I felt like I kept seeing some red flags that this wasn't as viable as a friendship for me as I had, had hoped. I really respect you and I treasure all the times that we've had. And I sincerely wish you the best always now and always. And, um, I know this might be hard to hear, but I just want you to know that I think, I think very highly of you and, you know, something like that. So it was like a balance of like saying, I really do deeply think you're a wonderful person and, and this might be hard to hear, but, and I just realized that this isn't going to work for me. And I think she, and I actually gave her some, like the mixed message thing. Um, And I think, you know, that, that felt really good, really clean, like super clean for me. Cause I could walk away and say, I was kind, I was respectful. It was really clear. And I was in, in, in integrity. So I didn't manipulate or candy coat. Like I was just really honest. And I think honestly, honesty is love. You know, honesty is love. It's not loving and kind to other people when we candy coat or like, it's not brave, you know, to, to ghost if it's somebody we've known for a long time, you know? So it's all about like checking in with your integrity. You know, I personally want friends who are brave and who, you know, are, will come to me or I'll come to them and we'll talk about the friendship, kind of like what you guys were modeling. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's all it comes down to leaning into this place of, do you want to be friends with someone? And want is like a new concept for a lot of us because I think many women have grown up with this idea that like we should, could, would, you know, and that determines a lot of our behavior with friendships. And one thing I've learned in therapy is to pause and say, do I want this? <laughs> do I want to be with this person? If And like pause and wait till I get a clear, clear read on that because it's a waste of my time and it's not kind to the other person. Same thing with someone else I really value, but who is a person who will talk like, oh, like really will not check in. It's just more like being talked at. I at one time felt like I should, she's a wonderful person. I should reach out. And then I'm just like, no, I, no, I'm not going to, that's not loving to her. And it's not loving to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good practice too. It's like checking in on like, what's the intention for the reach out? Like sometimes I would notice, I'm like, am I reaching out because I want to make sure it's like the check. I'm like, am I okay? Are you okay? Like, you know, like just the vibe check where I'm like, if you're okay, I'm okay type of thing within relationships where I felt like I had to kind of hold the container and check in on people, be in service to them, that kind of thing. And, you know, a lot of them, I think were so comfortable with me holding it that they didn't hold it too. Or assumed I would. Yes, exactly. Or it just wasn't in their capacity. Again, like it wasn't in their capacity. And I think, you know, or their capacity is different, you know, whatever, or they're looking for something different. So yeah, I think the friendship thing is is powerful. And um, for anyone who's listening, we have an episode called um, Healing the Female Friendship Wound where Lindsay and I really went into that. And then we did a female friendship roundtable. Mm-hmm. You can also listen to us talk, um, talk about that. I want to round out with talking about um, really what we can do to find peace with our inner teen. Like what are some of the practices, whether it's meditations or whether it's like skateboarding. <laughs> like, what are the ways in which we can really like give her the respect that she deserves? 
Yeah, there's so many exciting things that you can do. Um, one is, I would say the first one is just to reach out, say internally, you know, hey, inner teen or teen Bethany, you know, I see you. You're a part of me and I value you and I want to start connecting with you. And then just kind of check in. So start the conversation is the first thing. Second thing I would say is that's easy, like, and we're in kind of like order of depth. So that's like an easy first step. Another step might be um, listening to the music that you love, the art. Um, You know, for me, it was um, surfing, grunge music, strong coffee. um, You drinking coffee as a teen makes me laugh. (laughs) I love it. I literally I like, drank I, so much tea. I, I, I drank so much coffee and I smoked cigarettes. You know what's ah! so funny is you're, I'm like, oh Chain my smoker. God, you're drinking coffee. And I was like taking any diet pill I could find. <laughs> I would take any fucking diet pill I found. And I was like, oh my God, coffee is a teen gross. <laughs> I was like taking hydroxy cut by the pound. <laughs> um, yeah. So whatever you were doing, just like reflect on it, think about it, do some of it. And you'll be surprised at what that, the feelings, you know, that that will bring up. Um, That's a way of attending to your inner teen is like going to what she loved. Um, Some other powerful things are give your inner teen some ways to rebel that are like contained and constructive. So like, like, for example, one thing my inner teen really wanted to do is like cook something complicated at like 10 a.m. on a weekday. Like she wanted to like, <laughs> you know, not be like that. a workhorse. She wanted to yes. like, yeah. you know, make a mess in the kitchen on a Tuesday at 10 a.m., you know? Mm. So it's like every one of us is going to feel into like, oh, what would be delicious and yummy for the inner teen? And it's going to be something that's probably messy or inconvenient or like, you know, but indulge her, find something that's like safe and fun and, and do it. And the act of following through with it can really communicate to the inner teen that, Like you really, you're serious about this. You really want to connect. Um, Another powerful exercise that I've done around the inner teen and recommend is it's a little more intense, um, but it's like sitting with your inner teen, like imagining, you might even hold a pillow or something, but you can imagine her like in your arms, like imagine holding her and just say, you know what? You are so good. Like you are so lovable. So really like, mirroring to her that she's good, she's lovable, and that you're here for her. And she gets to be however she is, and you're going to love her no matter what. And then the second part of the exercise is to switch and to imagine that you're the teen being held by your inner mother self. So you might like prop some pillows on your bed and just lay against them. But like put your head against a pillow and imagine that you're laying against your inner mother's adult self's chest, you know, or her shoulder and really like sink into that feeling. So, and then listen to that, the same words you just said, I'm loved, I'm lovable and worthy exactly as I am. I never did anything wrong. I have nothing to be ashamed of. And just like, let that message sink into your cells. That can bring up a lot of grief. And that's, that's a really good thing. You can really like feel, you know, take in that inner mothering energy um, those are my main recommendations to get started. Yeah. I wonder if the schedule thing with the 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, it's like when you're a teen, you're like, so on schedule, schedules at school, totally. sports schedules, work schedule, you know what I mean? And it's like forced schedule. 
So I wonder, I kind of have that too, actually. If like I'm too scheduled, I will like rebel and like- For sure. Fucking eat at 4 a.m. and just watch YouTubes or something. I'm like, <laughs> dude, I just, like if I'm that capacity, I'm like, I need yeah. to create time for myself to like be yeah. in whatever I'm doing. Totally. Teens need like space to daydream and to just yes. listen to music or like like watch clouds in the sky, you know, like that, that's really powerful teen energy. Um, and also allowing your teen to ask you questions. One thing my teen loves to do is just be like, ask me questions like, why is the world so messed up? <laughs> or like, you know, like why, why do these, why were my parents so mean to me? You know, it's really kind of moving, but like when the teen feels safe enough, she will show her tender, vulnerable side and allow herself to be mothered. So you, until that comes, you can tell her, you can say, you can ask me anything. You know, you can ask me any questions or I want to hear everything that you're thinking about and make a space for that. It's powerful. Yeah, it's super powerful. I'm thinking, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but like just the process of teens getting ready for what they should be doing, which is college, you know, quote, should be mm. doing. And like that, that lack of space to daydream, to just kind of like be is just, not, it's, it's non-existent. And I think it's because the yeah. adults are like, no, no, no. But if you're not, if you're not moving forward and doing something and being productive and filling your resume than someone else is. It's like this crazy Ugh. chaotic energy that the teen really has to live in, in that context of like kind of getting ready for that next stage of, of life and education. But I think it would be so valuable because at that point, teens are like, I don't know what I want to do or be, which is normal. Yeah. But I also totally think if normal. they had more space to daydream and be like, huh, what really lights me up? What feels good? Or, yeah, I just... Yeah. Yeah, we like make kids take like bullshit classes and like do bullshit stuff. And then we're like, well, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? I know. It's like, I um, know. my options time to suck. Even... <laughs> yeah. It's like all these totally. options suck. And then you're like, I don't, you know, there's like, what do you even look at? Like the only jobs that I knew were available were like archetypes. It was like teacher, perf you know, lawyer, yeah. doctor, nurse. like nurse. Yeah, whatever it is. And it was never like an actual creative pursuit or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's why the inner teen, when she feels really supported by the inner mother, by your adult self, there's a place where that, her vitality, her, her passion can actually become extremely creative one of the things I say to my EC is you get to rest in me as long as you want. I'm, I'm the adult now. I'm going to take care of you. You can daydream all day inside of me. You know, you can just be, you can just, you know, explore, or relax or watch the clouds or watch the squirrels. And when the inner teen really gets that she has that space, it's, it's a visceral feeling. Um, you will feel her energy, like her ideas or a spark or a light bulb. Or um, one of the biggest things that you'll see in inner teen that's healing is the ability to say, buck the crowd, like screw what other people are doing, you know, be your own original self and like feel the legitimacy of that. I think that's what, wow, it's powerful to think about many inner teens around the world healing, how the, how the that like creative energy, you know, thinking outside the box, that 
teens have the capacity to do, but it's just squashed so much. Um, and we kind of live in a world that's not very creative. Honestly, the things I'm seeing, is just like more recycling of the same crap, you know, even really basic. I'm like, I buy a book. I'm like, what? This is like a bestseller. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot of like this watered legit, down. Dude. Sometimes I get sad. Down. I'm like, God, I just, if I did watered down oh, shit, so I would true. blow up. Cause we'll say this all the time where we'll fucking say crazy <laughs> shit. And then like someone will be like, on, on Instagram, they'll be like, love yourself, babe. And it's like 50 million likes. And you're like, <laughs> totally. dude, on, I'm like, I literally just poured out my entire soul. In a fucking post. Got five likes. And it's like, yeah, literally. And it's like, heart. Uh, like, oh, damn it. <laughs> but I know, I wonder that too. It's like, but I, I yeah, I think about that all the time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Ugh. It's time to go deeper. I think the inner yes. teens can help us go deeper. Yes. Mm. Go deeper. Yes. Completely. Thank you, Bethany. Yeah. I freaking love oh, hanging with you. Thank Same. you. I love hanging with you too. <laughs> what a rich conversation. I know. I would love to see you in person sometime too. So if yes. you're ever in LA, Definitely. please let us know. If you're in New York, Absolutely. let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll take you to dinner. But do you have anything exciting coming up for you? Like what's going on? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're thinking about doing, we have the inter- we have the Mother's Day. Every May, I do a massive Mother's Day you know, mm-hmm. event. Yeah. So definitely keep your eye out for that. Um, if Mother's Day is tough for you, if you have a some just struggle around Mother's Day, you definitely want to check that out. Um, I'm also thinking about creating some new like mini courses, like like the mother wound in career or the mother wound in relationships, like at a and very body. accessible level. Because I know a lot of women like really want to step into the healing the mother wound work, but it feels a little scary or it's just a little bit like they're not quite ready for the big thing um, to just create some little courses where you can start to dip your toe in and see, you know, based upon what's up for you. Cause it really touches every area. So that's one of the things that, that we're kind of working on this year is in the pipeline. Smart. Love it. Body, a body one too would be good. Body. Mm-hmm. Body would be really good, but that's amazing. Bethanywebster.com. I love your blog too. I find your blog to be incredible. Um, and then your book, you know, discovered the inner mother is incredible. It's one of my favorites. And then some of the online courses, you have the Inner Mother course and you have a bunch of other resources on bethanywebster.com that I highly recommend people check out. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. You. This You're has welcome. been so fun. Of we course. adore you so, so we'll much. We'll see you later. Yeah, we will see okay, you soon. Okay, have a great day. Bye, Bye you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Bethany Webster. Again, the book is Discover the Inner Mother, bethanywebster.com. There's another episode of Bethany on Almost 30 you can listen to. And for all of our members, we did a 90-minute workshop with Bethany Webster on healing the mother wound that's available in the portal now. And the camp session is also available in the portal. So if you are a member, you'll see that session on the inner teen. Thank you so much to the sponsors for this episode. We appreciate you and we appreciate you all checking out our sponsors. Krista and I spend time with these brands, trying them out for you and vetting them. So thank you to BetterHelp, Issue, Anima Mundi Herbals, and Hum Nutrition. You can find all discounts in our show notes as well as on almost30.com slash partners. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you on the next episode.